Blog Talk Radio. definition, yes, I probably would. Because <laughs> <laughs> for most of us, we go through divorce once, maybe twice. I mean, a few people who I call slow learners might go through it three or four times. Um, but the process itself is so daunting that we don't know what we're doing. And afterwards, we think, oh, gosh, we should have done this, we should have done that. Um, if you've been through it a few times, then you can advise uh, a, a woman on what to do. But more importantly, when you're divorcing or dealing with custody with an abuser, it's a whole different ball game. And unfortunately, a lot of mothers really, really um, have to buckle down and strap themselves in and get ready for the battle of their lives when it comes to protecting their children um, and custody issues. Thank you for joining us, Stacy. Have you? You're I know you have a personal story uh, about uh, child custody, but have you worked with a lot of moms who have had uh, real custody horror stories when it comes to an abuser? Um, yes, I have over the years. In the last ten years, it's been just it's every day, and I've noticed this weekend there's an escalation of um, women contacting me and needing um, assistance in how to handle what is happening over this weekend, which um, abusers love to attack on holidays. Um, It takes away from the value of that holiday for not only the victim, but the children involved in that situation. Um, And I get a lot of moms in. Go ahead. um, When I get moms in in my current business uh, that I can see that dynamic unfolding, some of them don't grasp what's about to happen because they – so believe in the system and they're compliant with the system so they don't you know they aren't grasping what I'm trying to do to protect them 
And what do we do to try to protect them? Um, I just tried to, gu- to guide them in a way through the divorce, especially if I do have the abuser in the office with me and they are trying to to work for There's different levels of abusers and some will just automatically go to the system and use the system. Some of them that come to me now where I can see that dynamic within that relationship, I am working to bring them to agreements that is going to allow the mom to remain in the life and even with a 50 custody or more of a custody. But um, the minute you start to fight that in the system with the abuser, most moms lose all contact with kids. So just as a proactive before all that happens to these families, I'm trying to diffuse that within my mediation so that they can move forward. And that's not always possible with everybody because the the super strong narcissistic or abusive person probably isn't even going to have that potential to come to the table. But if they do, I can prevent it or slow it down versus if they're going into the lawyers and litigation, um, it's going to escalate to the no contact with the mom. Wow. So you work with abusers as well? Um, I Well, I work when I see that dynamic come in initially into my into my mediation when it's fresh. I have not yet worked with mediating a situation where years have passed and the abuser's finally coming and saying, wait a minute, which has actually happened in one of my divorces, uh, my first divorce. The abuser has begun to see the dynamic of what it did to the kids now that they're older. And the kids really don't want much to do with him. Unfortunately, I have a daughter that's still of age to be brought into the system and into the courtroom. And so just trying to handle that dynamic right now is where I'm at in my personal life, learning how to deal with the abuser down the road. And not not all abusers are ever going to come to acknowledgement that what they did was wrong. And he still is kind of not there fully because the lawyers coach these men and and help to create and allow for that abuse to continue to happen, and the system supports it. So just in my own situation right now, I'm learning that dynamic. So hopefully as more of these cases that have been around for so many years where somebody's finally – sometimes these abusers just are done. It it doesn't become fun anymore for them, and they want to figure out – you know, some of them want to move forward, not all. Not by any means. Some yeah, I was going to say, I have a, you know, in, I don't work with abusers, but from the abusers that I have known and read about and studied, uh, wow, I mean, I would think that that's really rare because abusers spend their lives blaming other people for everything. It's always somebody else's fault. You know, if the kids don't want to see him, it's not certainly because of anything he did. It's something that she must have done to poison their minds, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. And that's where the court comes in with the younger kids and does that. Um, I did get custody of my daughter last year, so I still have to protect that until she gets out of the system that that doesn't come back on me again because that's what they use and that's what he used in the past. But it seems like he's he's trying to grasp it, even though in his brain it's still – me, I did wrong. You know, he's making an effort of some sort, which is sometimes I get very scared this is going to backfire on me. But if I can move forward in a healthy way that I'm able to protect my kids still and move forward with that and, and hopefully help him, then I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that for my kids. Um, as long you as know, the abuse I, if isn't you there. have a story, uh, if you have uh, a story about child custody, or maybe you're experiencing this right now, um, and you just need some somebody to to listen to you, give us a call. Our phone number here is six four six three seven eight 
646-378-0430. That's 646-378-0430. I also have the chat room open. If you go to the webpage, blogtalkradio.com slash three women three ways, you can go on to our into our chat room and uh, ask a question. And um, I actually already have a question in the chat room, Stacy. Someone wants okay. to know how to get in touch with you. Do you have a webpage? Um, yes, it's divorceplanners.com. And if it is, um, and and again, my business is really based around getting people to come to me initially out the gate, so that the system cannot profit off of your divorce. And I work very effortlessly to help people move past what created the divorce dynamic and move into a healthier future for their kids. However, if somebody's trying to contact me that is in a very corrupt case in a very dangerous bad situation they can always contact me directly and my number is 720-301-9475 okay let's talk stacy in general about mothers who lose custody why do mothers lose custody I know years ago when I went to get a divorce and talked with an attorney, I said, I'm worried about custody of my children. And he said, do you use drugs? Are you an alcoholic? You know, what? why would you be worried about that? And I think the assumption is that as long as you're a decent mother, you're not an alcoholic or a prostitute or something that could be perceived as being dangerous to your children, that you will get custody. But in the research that I've seen and in the stories that I've heard, that's not such a, a, an automatic assumption anymore, is it? No, it's not. It's, um, it's not even a standard anymore to prove. You know, the qualifications of proving an unfit parent um, and taking custody away from a protective parent has, be- in my opinion, and most people that follow me or that are aware of me, um, in my opinion, it's racketeering. And these lawyers have, when an abuser comes in, to their office, and they can identify them. They work with doctors. So the two of them and their education have started to identify that abuser when they come in. You've got a young kid, and the lawyer's got residual income, and they don't care what they're going to do to your family. They will escalate the conflict. Um, I was in a documentary, Contested Custody After Divorce, with Dr. Sharon Araji, And in that documentary, there is a lawyer from Anchorage, Alaska, who talks about how he trains his client to set up the mom for DV, for abuse, and really works with these men to coach them into, you know, getting, restricting the mother, continuing the abuse. It's, it's, it's a dynamic that the system has created to empower these abusers and unfortunately i believe it's social conditioning if we can allow children into an abusive home and they think that's okay and they know they have safety with another parent these kids will grow up to believe that the abuse is okay which now creates a dynamic in the next generation of having more abuse and more people that become criminals well, power feels good. We all want some power, right? But with abusers, it's kind of perverted because they don't want power necessarily. I mean, they just don't just want power. They want power over someone. 
And so they are used to getting power. And when it comes to the court system, you know, I mean, why should that be any different from anything else? They they will do whatever it takes to try and get power. One of the things, uh, one of the studies that, that I've seen, Stacy, says that 25 to 50% of disputed custody cases involve domestic violence. And that's from a study by Keilitz, K-E-I-L-I-T-Z, National Center for State Courts. 25 to 50%. Now, most people who divorce don't have disputed custody. They work out some sort of arrangement. I think it's something like it's about 80 to, to 85% of divorces that involve children work out some sort of visitation and custody arrangement without relying on the court to do so. It's when that custody, when they can't reach an agreement, when it's disputed, that's when they go to the court. And that's when a judge says, this is who's going to have these kids live with them. And of that small percentage of parents, divorcing parents, who have to have the courts decide, 25 to 50% of those have domestic violence in the background. And since domestic violence is all about control and power, wow, you know, obviously child custody becomes about control and power. So, um, you know, I mean, to me, that's like, wow. In other words, the children are becoming just one more tool to try and gain power over somebody. Do, Correct. Do, oh, absolutely. In your, experience, in your experience, do these guys who fight for custody, do they really want custody? I would say the majority of the time they probably don't. And if And the only reason they're actually fighting for it is to continue to abuse the other parent, the mother, um, in the cases we're talking about today. So that is, that's what they're doing. They don't, I know, I was in a meeting with my ex-husband's lawyer and him back in like 2002, 2001, and he just said, I don't effing want these kids. He stood up and said, I don't effing want these kids, and the lawyer stood up and told him to sit down, and then the lawyer said, no, you go to my office, and then in 2005 he got custody. So the lawyer at that point, I believe, you know, once a lawyer knows a parent doesn't want custody, they should no longer litigate on behalf of that person. But this lawyer knew this was a money-making case. He got partner in his law firm for keeping my ex-husband on board to fight me for the custody. And because he was an abuser, is an abuser, he, it, it empowered him to do that. And then by him gaining the custody justified himself. And these are my opinions of, of my own situation. It justified and validated himself to everybody in his life. And yeah. the abuse I was allowed. There's an assumption socially, I think, in, in our in our culture, that if a mother does not get custody, she must have screwed up royally. She yeah. must have done something really, really wrong. And that's not yeah. always the case. And even when custody, especially if a mother has custody and then the custody is removed from them, and it is not the case, we are dealing with these CFIs and these pre's and whatever they okay, want to change their name. A child family a investigator. They're okay, child family investigators. And in Colorado, we actually put a cap through legislation on the CFIs. And within a week before the law passed, they changed their title to a pre, which is a parent responsibility evaluator now. So the cap on the money was irrelevant to them. Same people doing the same things to families, 
no, no new qualifications for the new title, and now they don't have a cap anymore. It is, it is a very dirty business. And what they can charge. And what they exactly. Charge. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And you okay, have some of these people that are up, looking at a family when, charging $10,000 $10, where they know that there is abuse happening, and all they have to do is claim parental alienation, and that is pretty much from what I've observed as a nationwide standard when there's abuse, all of a sudden the protected parent is attempting to alienate the other parent. And then that's well, all they need. So many dis- yep. and, so, and, and as we were saying earlier to start this conversation, if a child doesn't want to see a parent, it seems like the courts assume, and sort, certainly the abusers assume, that the only reason a child would not want to see his parent is because somebody's poisoned the child's mind against that parent. I, I, it befuddles me because it seems to me if somebody's not nice to you, why would you want to see them? And yet that simple, that simple um, uh, assumption seems to be missing in so many courts that maybe this kid doesn't want to see that abuser because he's not nice to the kid, you know? Correct. And that's, I, I mean, anybody who, it, it amazes me how educated people would believe that dynamic when that is a reality. For anybody, I don't care what age you are, if you, if you feel unsafe, you feel unsafe. And with children, that is a much more innocent feeling than even with adults. Some adults will use that, especially abusers, obviously, to gain the control of a situation, claiming that they feel unsafe when they've done horrendous things to their spouse, their children. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and you would just think that that is logical. But these people, if they think on logic or really identify what's truly happening, they, they lose out on years of income. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say, Stacey, is this, this, we need to look bottom line on this. Who's making the money off of, this, of child custody issues? Absolutely. And we know, anybody who's involved in the court system knows that there's no end, or seemingly no end, to the ancillary personnel that are brought on board. You have guardians ad litem, you have psychologists, you have sociologists, you have, um, uh, God help you, if you have CPS involved as well, because oftentimes there are conflicting demands from CPS and the court system. So, for example, you'll have CPS ordering a mother to keep those children away from that abusive father, and then she goes to family court and the judge says, you know, you're in contempt because you're keeping those children away from their father and the father has a right. Right, and then if you don't comply with um, CPS, you fail to protect your children. Yes, then you bring them the whole failure to protect. You have people, you have women who are, are at a trauma, traumatized level who are becoming involved in court systems, and they have to just be absolutely blindsided by by the court systems. And uh, Because I think most of us think of courts and we think justice, Right. But in these cases, uh, I don't. Be, yeah. <laughs> the last yeah. thing I think of, yeah. I think of Rico, but that's me. Explain that. Rico is racketeering influenced corrupt organization, and that's at the end of the day, that's in my very, very strong opinion, is what family court is. Yeah. And when the, well, you the know, on the show, I've there, interviewed a family court judge, and. Yes. Um, yeah, and and that was an interesting experience. Um, I will say that um, because I was trying to get you know how how do you 
as a as a judge. I mean, these these people don't see themselves as doing anything wrong. They see themselves as doing the Lord's work. You know, I mean, they're deciding. You know, and and especially, I think. Judge, at least the judges that I've met, of course, I'm making a sweeping generalization, but they they see themselves as being absolutely right. They don't see a lot of shades of gray, and um, gosh, it can just be devastating to a family dynamic and to children. Well, um, and I don't even know. Um, I know in the order when my kids were taken, the judge flat out said, I just don't know. I don't know. Okay, if you don't know, why are you taking away full custody from one parent and giving it to another if you don't know? Full custody, not even shared full custody, custody, full custody. I went from full custody, full custodial mom of my two biological kids to where the system gave without knowing. I mean, she made it very clear. We had two different CFIs and two opinions. Um, she made it very clear she did not know, but she went ahead and changed custody, and within a year I was on restrictions and I sat on the restrictions, waiting to get into court. When it was heard, they were unfounded. Two months later, bam, restriction again for another year and three months. And again, on okay, family. What do you mean by restriction? Um, restriction parenting the- time is the next step. Once an abuser gains custody of their children, they now go in to restrict the parent because, oh, my God, they're alienating. This parent has now become dangerous because power, you know, the, the abuser's been empowered by family courts, so now the victim becomes the alleged bad guy, and the next step for the abuser is to put the parent on restriction, and usually they're going into a facility where they're paying, I was paying like $180 to see my kids for two hours, um, oh. you know, and everything hey, within that agency. you had to have supervised visitation? Yeah, supervised visitations. And in those, they were reporting that I was appropriate with my children. There were reports of the dad stalking me, trying to get into my car in the parking lot, um, you know, just a lot of things over those two years I was on restrictions that would validate that I wasn't the bad guy, I'm not the bad parent, I was the protective parent, I was the healthy parent, and the court refused, even though the restrictions were unfounded and everything else, they refused to look at those reports. And at one point a magistrate kind of skimmed through the reports and said, this is normal. Normal for what? (laughs) When you're dealing with an abuser? So apparently, I I believe the courts know what they're doing. I believe um, that they know what they're doing. They they know that these kids are not in a safe place. They know a parent shouldn't be restricted, but they do it to create the residual income. The residual income. But the courts, once the, well, the courts, judges get paid what judges get paid. The judges also get paid by lawyers. Huh? Judges can also take money from a lawyer. What? I've never heard yes. of such a thing. Yeah, there's a, actually a video on my Facebook page that explains how that happens. But judges are allowed to pay, or lawyers are allowed to pay a judge. So if you have an abuser, especially in cases where there is a lot of money involved, the abuser, because they like the control and they want to continue to victimize, can pay their lawyer extra money to pay the judge. And that's why I've some of these cases that... I've never heard of that, that... I, 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 I want to back away from that comment a little bit. Okay. Um, because I, I, don't, I don't know that um, at okay. all. And and I, I don't know if it happened in my case. I don't know if it happened in my case, but I know that it could potentially happen. 
well. Um, I would that would be something to explore further, but I've never heard of such a thing. Um, really, never. If you would like to jump into this conversation, I'd love it if you would. Our phone number is six four six three seven eight zero four three zero. That's six four six three seven eight zero four three zero. We also have our chat room open if you go to the webpage, blogtalkradio.com slash three women three ways. You'll go to our chat room and you can ask or make a comment um through there. Um Stacy, let's let's segue a little bit and let's let's get away from some of the, the courtroom stuff and let's talk more about what does a mom do when she doesn't have her kids with her? It's it's a very hard and dark area to be in. I think the best thing that moms can do when they don't have their kids or when they're going through the holidays without their kids is to it's something you have to reach so deep inside of yourself. But being victims of abuse, I think we all have the power because we've survived so much that I believe we all mm-hmm. have the power to come inside of ourselves and really try to find a space to um, find a little bit of joy in what's happening. Um, I know I had a mom that said that where she's getting her strength for this Mother's Day is uh, knowing that her kids would want to be with her if it was up to her kids. Mm-hmm. And so by and and it's just such a painful place that surviving it and especially at the holidays um it's it's just a hard dynamic especially if you've lost support from your family which happens a lot of times. Um it it just gets exhausting for everybody but to find things to to do something to take care of yourself. I know for years I had no money. People were like go do this, go I couldn't go do anything. But what I had to do was find some happiness inside of me to get through those those tough days, those tough times, those holidays, those milestones in life. Um, and just really, I, I prayed a lot, um, you know, for protection over my kids. Uh, I reached out to people, reached out to a church that really embraced me. And, um, and you know, and just, and just finding some little bit of inner peace to get through these dark days because in the end, the kids will always usually come back and know that what happened wasn't okay. And there are just some things in life you can't take away from a mother and their child. And one is the maternal bond, and two is love. And I told that court for years, you can take away everything but the love me and my kids have for each other. And that's the one thing they can't court order to take away from you. Why would a court... Um, and maybe this is a question for somebody different, but courts used to have, you know, the tender years doctrine. They used to say a a child needs his mother. Um, They don't seem to do that much anymore. Why do you think that is? Um, I'm not really sure why that is. Um, I believe there was just a standard norm in society because of that doctrine that it was just normal mom got custody when... So, you know, I mean, that was just the norm anyway growing up. People, mom stayed home, dad went to work. It was just kind of a a social norm. And then Mm -hmm. when mother's rights kicked in, or women's rights, then it turned around like, okay, father's rights, men's rights, and the dynamic changed. And a lot of women were starting to go out to work, and the dad was staying home. So it 
kind of opened up this this gate. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, I, I feel the only people that are successful in that are the abusive people. Um, they're the ones that are winning their abuse cause. Uh, you know, there's, there's women out there that I want to go to work when they get divorced, and they, the dad does take the more time, and that's how that dynamic works out for that family. And I think father's rights helped bring that, or there were dads that, hey, we're both working equally. We, you know, we want to go equally here. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, what it but did in those was empower cases, the you have reasonable people that work out reasonable right. custody, and, and they do 50-50 and all that kind of stuff. Um, the kind of stuff you read about in the in the news and you know uh, where they they work it out, um, but we're talking about situations where there is no working it out. It's either all win or all lose. Right, and just that whole just the whole dynamic of bringing that father's rights in to make that happen in a courtroom, you know, because maybe not everybody's always necessarily okay with that. But in the end, that is what winds up working out for the best, for people who can be civil, for people who can learn to get along after divorce, where there is no abuse. But it's just created a bigger dynamic now for these abusers to stand behind that to gain that control. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just, um, I think that it's a, a fascinating, fascinating thing. What about um, the kids later on? Uh, is it likelihood? Uh, is there a likelihood that kids will reconnect with their their moms when they've been taken away? Um, I, I've been fortunate in that aspect that they have. Um, I have a son who's 21. He'll be 22, and he's awesome and he's amazing. All of my kids are. Uh, the one thing I've realized is because it's such a vulnerable time in their life that they're going through this they regress back to that abuse every now and again where they feel no good, they feel worthless, they feel stupid, they feel like they're being beat up all the time. And I think it's just a normal part of coming out of something that is so abnormal that, you know, they they, they regress back to that. um, And sometimes I feel like, gosh, I don't even know if, you know, what to do if, you know, but I know my kids love me. I love them, and we work in the best way we can to move forward from what's happened to us. And I know that when each one of my kids came back to me, I told them this happened to us for a reason, and the reason is we're meant to change it. And and that really set in with my kids. Um, You know, whether it was right or wrong, and it wasn't right, um, you know, but I still have to be cautious because I have a younger, younger daughter still who... You know, I've got to watch out for that alienation all the time. And the dad can be cynical and abusive and and just nasty. And I have to put on a happy face for her. And your dad's really yeah. making effort. I'm really proud of him. You know, and I'm, I'm saying this about somebody who has completely destroyed my children, our lives. But I have to. Stacey, we have a caller. Her. Okay. Okay. Caller, are you there? I yes, I am. I'm just uh, calling in to say what a great job Stacy's doing, and I'm proud of her for getting out there and fighting and sticking up for what's going on with women and children in our court system, and the inadequacy that's happening, and the incompetency of the inv- individuals involved. And it goes into Have a deeper had... level than what you think. 
Go ahead. Have you had experience with this, either yourself or in your family, where a mom has lost custody to an abuser? Yes, I'm the, I'm the mother that lost custody of my daughter to oh. an abuser. Yeah. So you do you have visitation, or do you have no visitation? No, I I lost my uh, daughter years ago. Um, I am a mother that fought in the court system for ten full years trying to protect my daughter and could not do so due to the system uh, ignoring all evidence of abuse. And this happens ramp- rampant. Um, it's happening in every state and internationally. Yeah. So yeah. Um, you know, getting, I have. An article. I mean, I am out here in Washington State, and I have an article that I have been saving for years, and I've never been able to follow up on it. Periodically, I try to follow up on it. But there was a young woman who, um, and this was several years ago in eastern Washington, who's, um, who was given custody. Her custody, she, was, she was given to her abusive father and grandfather. Um, the father lived with the grandfather, and the grandfather uh, was a pedophile. And so this girl uh, lived uh, by on court order with a pedophile and not with right. her mom. And when she turned 18, she sued. Now, most guardians ad litem are protected, I think, depending on the, on the state, mm-hmm. but I think they're protected from lawsuits. But she sued, and I have never been able to figure out what happened with that, what the resolution of it, uh, of it was. Um, but I would love to know, and I would love to see more of these young people who are forced by the courts into situations like that to take action when they can. Um, have you heard of, of, of a similar situation where the, pers- the child who was placed in an abusive situation um, turned 18 and, and tried to, to take action against that? Well, most of the cases that I know where that's happened, um, the uh, kids do not file lawsuits. Um, they pretty much, I mean, you've got cases where the Holly, um, I can't think of her last name, but where the mom Collins. ran. Uh, yeah, Holly Collins' case. And, and they didn't, uh, you know, they don't come back and sue. Um, but I think that's probably going to start happening, and I hope it does, because it needs to hold people accountable for what they've done. But in my own case, my daughter's dissociative, and she will not sue or do anything like that. She's, it's going to take years for her to regroup and, and get through all this because it was so much damage done. And I think now, with my son... may I ask if you my, have... Do you have a, are you able to have a relationship with your daughter now, or was that ruined by I the lost process? Her, I lost her for 10 years um, and um, to, the, to the abuser, and I got her back 50-50, um, which the abuse, you know, was able to continue on. I don't know, once an abuser, always an abuser. And then um, we have a great relationship, but I'm speaking for other women out there. They have no relationship with their children. Um, once they're taken and given to the abuser, uh, they have no relationship with that mother again because it's very difficult to, to maintain that relationship when that goes on. My case was supervised visits for eight years. So uh, my daughter was unable to talk and completely isolated and shut down. And that's what most of kids, but the women have a hard time, like Stacy or any of them, having to stay in those supervised visits because they're financially and emotionally and mentally depleted. So that's their way they yeah. control the issue. But the, my child and I, yeah. yes, we have a great relationship today. Oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm so happy that you were able to recover that relationship with her. Stacey, yeah. um, do you, have you, are, are there success stories out there? Uh, is is there hope if a woman has lost her, her custody of her children? Um, what kind of hope is there for her? 
There is hope. There is hope. But the biggest thing that we all have to do is get rid of the fear and the complying with what you know is wrong. And we all know in our heart what is wrong. And being respectful in, in not complying, however, which is, which is an interesting place to have to be. Um, so you, you've got to, I know, until I lost all fear of that courtroom, the minute I lost it all and went in there and stood up to that court, I got my kids back. Um, so there is hope. There's a lot of hope, and we can get our kids back. Unfortunately, these kids get, I believe it's Stockholm Syndrome. Um, I know with my son, the reason he didn't want to sue, and he knew he could have, um, he just wanted to move on. He didn't want to yeah. drag that into a courtroom for the next five years. He just wants to move on, get his brain right, and be a healthy, functioning person in society today. So yeah. that's, I think, where we're running us? into lawsuits not happening. The other thing is we are, as these kids are getting older right now, um, I work with a gal, Deb Carroll, out here, and she's amazing. And we're really starting to help families now, moms that come to us now, where the kids have aged out of the system, in helping mend that relationship. Because yeah. these kids have been so brainwashed and abused that when you are raised that way, you, you're naturally, your brain is naturally going to think that's all right when all of a sudden you're with a protective parent and the next thing you're stuck with an abuser and the court said so, just like society thinks, well, you must, you know, it's on you. No, it's not. You know, but those kids, their brain develops to think this is okay. And that was my biggest trauma when I lost my kids was, oh, my God, my kids are going to grow up to believe that this behavior is all right. Yes. Yes, exactly. Caller, are you still with us? I am. I am. Oh, oh, good. Thank I, you for I, hanging I on. It, I, I, I think what it is, too, though, is that um, when you're dealing with sociopathic behavior and, and that abuser has a sociopathic behavior and they never stop, uh, that's a whole different ballgame, and there's no way of mending that relationship with that parent. Um, and, and that's the only problem I see. No, I mean, I, I'm talking mending the relationship mean, with the protective parent. Right, right. With the protective parent, yes, well, absolutely. And, and I would and imagine, part- I, I, I have not been in that situation, but I would imagine that the, um, I mean, we've already said that the motivation of the parent um, is to um, take control, right? So one of the things I would imagine that would happen is that the the parent who is able to wrest custody would not say flattering things about the protective parent. I mean, I can imagine things being said about, well, your mom isn't here because she doesn't want to be here. She doesn't want to be with you. Is that typical, or am I just making that up? No, that that is typical. That's very, yes, all three of my kids have made that very clear to me that that's what's been coached into their brain. That that parent yeah. wants coercive control and wants complete control. That's that's the whole point of all this is to keep that control. But the system is allowing it, and the system is not educated enough to understand um, the the whole dynamics that are going on. Are there support organizations for children who have been removed from custody from one of their parents? No, not that I know of. How about you, Stacy? Um, no, but we're probably going to start working on creating that here. Because it seems to me that would be important. I know with adoptive children, I mean, there's that curiosity, there's that drive to know who who was this person, you know, who, who gave birth to me, who was this person that, you know, 
Um, and I would imagine it wouldn't be any different among uh, children who were removed from the custody of one of their parents. Even if the, but the courts pa- aren't you know, going mean, to allow if, that. What do you mean the, the courts, courts aren't, aren't going to allow some point? courts aren't going to allow Stacy the time with her children when she wanted it. That she had to go in and fight and fight and fight. There's not going to be the courts are not going to allow for that child. No, I mean to after the child ages therapy. up, after that, after that oh, child turns oh, oh, eighteen. Oh, I got you. Okay. Okay. Uh, then you know yeah. they are absolutely able to do whatever the heck they want um, as far as uh, establishing contra- contact with the other parent. And even if it happens to be the abusive pay- parent, I mean there are plenty of cases where a woman is lucky enough to be able to have full custody of her children, and it is in fact the abusive parent who's been cut out of the picture. But I would imagine as a child one of the things that you would want to know is who is that person? Who was that I find, I find the women that I know, so I was in this a long time ago, um, the women I know that lost that custody due to abuse allegations and never got to see, not that they were the abuser, but the abuser was abusing their children, never got their children back and do not have a relationship with them today and was, were unable to continue that relationship. And if anything, the kids don't like their mother by that point. And, um, you know, I know several of those cases where they're just completely alienated and um, have no relationship with the protective parent. And that has to be absolutely gut-wrenching for a mother. So, ladies, and I hope you're staying with us because I think you're really adding to our discussion, caller. What is your your first name, caller? Uh, My name is Marilee McLean. Marilee. Thank you for staying with us, Marilee. Ladies, what advice do you have for a mom who is facing Mother's Day tomorrow without her children? Mm-hmm. What can you tell her? Marilee, do you have any advice? I was going to let Stacy say. <laughs> go ahead, Marilee, you go hey, first. Stacey? Ironically enough, Marilee and I both had the same investigators in our cases. Oh, really? So you you two know each other? We know each other. Yeah, I just happened. I just happened to see Stacy on this show, and um, I decided to call in. I wanted to see what it was about and how how it was going, and I just wanted to compliment her on her work and that she's doing. Very proud of her. Um, Thank you. you no, know, I, um, you know, I think Mother's Day is the most grueling, cruel. Uh, I, every Mother's Day that I didn't have my daughter, which was years, um, I always went and bought flowers, to plant flowers on Mother's Day, because that was my gift to myself. That's about the only thing I had money for to buy, because I was completely depleted financially fighting this case. And so um, I could hardly get through Mother's Day. And a lot of Mother's Days, we had rallies at the Capitol in Washington, D.C., where mothers would come in from all across the country that were in the same situation, trying to protect their children, and we would have a, a national rally at the Capitol. And um, I remember those rallies, going to those, and I would wear sunglasses in the airport because I'd see friends of mine. I wouldn't want them to say hello to me because if you talk to me, I would just start bawling. And I'd look at a mother sitting next to me on the airplane with her little baby and think, why does she get to have her baby and I can't have mine? It was, I hate Mother's Day. I'm okay today because I have my daughter, but for the moms that don't, this is the worst time of the year for them. Yeah, I imagine it is. I mean, I absolutely imagine it is. Stacy. what advice? What can that mom do? Uh, my biggest advice is to seriously reach in on some inner strength. Um, 
I fought some of my darkest, nastiest, meanest, most evilest demons on Mother's Day in my life. Um, I'm glad I won. And you have to win. And you always have to remember that your children need you. They need you. And some of these kids that don't get it, I truly, truly believe someday they will. I just truly believe that in the bottom of my heart, and you have got to survive it for your kids. However that is, I can't even I, I can't even say that there was anything I ever did for myself to help me get through those days, but to draw on my own strength. And they were, like I said, the darkest days of my life. And um, I had to draw on my own strength just to make it to, the, to Monday morning. Um, and I did it for a good eight years. Seven years, you know, I did it for a long time. I did it for a lot of years. And I'm glad I did. And I think it's a good time for moms to reach out to start thinking of how they're going to turn their case around. Um, And they can be turned around. Not all of them, but there is hope. I think moms need to live on that hope and know that there's hope and just reach out. We all need to reach out to each other get that strength from another parent, get that strength from a family member, a friend. Just even if it's somebody to hear you talk about what you're going through, that um, you're able to get it out and just survive it, survive the holiday, survive the day, find something good within something. And it's, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. But it was, as I sit here today and talk on the show, it was worth it. Are there support groups for moms who don't have their children? I'd say that, um, you know, in the old days it was very difficult to find that. Today we've got the Internet and we've got books and we've got lots of people out there fighting. Right now we have a Battered Mothers Conference that's going on in um, Secaucus, New Jersey, May 15th through the 17th, where women are coming in from all across the country and some pretty heavy-hitter presenters are coming in, all professionals, psychologists, doctors, um, a lot of authors to speak on this issue, and we didn't have that when I was going through this, nor when Stacy was going through this. So I don't think, I think the biggest difference for these moms today is that they do have another mother to reach out to, where I was completely isolated. I didn't have even Stacy. It was pretty much isolation. So I think now that is the biggest part, because you'll see moms writing poetry, incredible poetry. Um, They're writing books. They're they're out there speaking. I think that things are changing that way. Um, they've got an inner strength, and they're not alone. There's too many of us. There's thousands. I mean, you've got 58,000 children a year going to live with their abusers. We've got a problem. Yeah. And so how would our listeners contact and find some of these organizations to support them? I think, the biggest support, I, have okay, I think the biggest support in that is... Um, I know I was really traumatized until I realized that this was a, a, a systematic problem versus something I had done wrong. Um, I think yeah. that really helps to ease some of that for people. And to me, I think the best way to get out there and find somebody in your area is Facebook. Facebook has allowed so many women um, that are surviving this, that are living this, that um, – to come together and to share what's working, what's not working, um, reach out. And most importantly, really, I really try to get people to find people within their own state as well. Um, 
you know, because then you have somebody a little bit closer that can help you, that you can talk to. Some of these moms, I know in the past we've we've done Mother's Day dinners or, you know, just gotten the moms together to just so they have somewhere to be, people to yeah. be around that understand yeah. what they've been through, that they don't have to talk about the trauma that day. They can just be with people that know, that are living it, that are surviving it. Um, and I think that helps a lot. Okay, so with... Uh, but when you say go to Facebook, how would I, okay, if I'm a mom that's just lost custody and I am absolutely devastated and I need some support, how what would I do? I would say, well, I can only speak for myself, but I would say if you're on Facebook, reach out to me. I can start connecting you with people within your states, um, you know, or, I mean, I, I don't know any other way to do it. I did it. I reached out. Um, Claudine was one of the first people I ever spoke with. And when she explained to me what was happening, I think that's what helped me even survive this in the first place was when I realized I was not alone. And yeah. she and really thing. helped me survive. And so I think getting on there, start, and once you get on, it is because, as Marilee said, there's 58,000 kids a year being placed in the care of an abuser. That's huge. And once you get on there, it That's is such a snowball really effect is. of finding people yeah. that know where you're There's at. There are several organizations. Um, California Protective Parents Association, Connie Valentine's huge. Um, Great one. And she's got lots of connections. You've got Safe Kids International with Cindy Dumas, who has a lot, a lot of connections to all this and is going after uh, humanitarian issue of violence violations and civil rights violations. Then you've got... Um, Stop Abuse with Andrew Willis. So there's a lot of organizations out there. Um, and then there's a lot of moms that are connecting with moms, like, you know, um, moms who've lost custody. And, and um, there's, there's, there's lots, lots. Mothers have lost children. There are an umbrella on it. And the, and the bottom Mothers line is... Mothers have lost children. I'm, I'm trying to write some of these down. Um, yeah. So if I just went online, if I did a Google search and typed in... Um, Protective parents. Child custody, lost children, or something like that. Would I be able to find some of these things? Yes, I think so. Okay. All right. Um, both of you are now uh, back in the lives of your children. Uh, at least, you know, uh, I, I know, Stacy, you still have one child that you do not have custody of. But um, what, what. Another thing advice, you can do on Facebook is go on to, like, oh, yeah. whatever, type in your state. So mothers who want their kids back, like Texas, mothers who want their kids back. California, mothers who want their kids back. There's groups out there like that on Facebook even where they're all linked in by state. And that's another beneficial way um, to start at least opening up and, and getting other people in your life that understand what's going on. Okay, and mothers type in your state. educate themselves. I'm sorry, we lost that. What, what right, go, ahead. Say, go ahead, go ahead, Stace. Look, I was just, just saying they need to educate themselves on this. On, I mean, there's lots of, of information out there that they can get to educate themselves, whether it's on the Internet, whether it's books, whether it's there's the organizations we just told you about. So there's lots of ways. Okay, now my next question is how do these, uh, if, if moms are facing lost custody, how do they find an attorney to help them? Are there, um, uh, I mean, 
every now and then, if you're really lucky, you can find an organization that will help you if you have no money um, going through domestic violence, uh, domestic violence divorce. But what about when you're losing custody of your children or somebody's challenging for custody of your children? How do you pick a lawyer? How do you find money for one? Stacey knows. She was pro se. Most people pro se. You you end up being bankrupt. You have no money. You can't. I went in and watched Stacy. Um, I watched Stacy when she was going through some of the hard times, and and I watched her go from. And I'm going to say this, Stacy, on air, but I was so impressed because I would talk to her, and she talked so fast, and blah, 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 and that's the way moms get because it's so so traumatizing. You learn to really speak fast, and you can you know your case better than anybody, and you can tell them all the emotions and blah blah blah. But the bottom line was I watched her go in and represent herself, and I, I cried when she came back into the courtroom, I mean, you know, when she got off her um, being an attorney, <laughs> pro se, because <laughs> I, it was for me, I know what it was like to go pro se. I went through probably 10, 10 attorneys, and I was in court for 10 years, and I was depleted financially, and I went in to represent myself pro se. And honestly, I don't tell all mothers to do this because it's very dangerous, but if you're articulate and you're educated and you know your case better than anybody, you will do a good job, and at least you're heard. You're never heard when you have an attorney. You never get to say a word. You are just chastised one time after another after another, and nothing ever comes out. So that was when my case moved forward, and I watched Stacy go from what I just said to getting in there, and her words were slow and you know, distinct. She got her point across. She said everything that I would have loved to have said, lots of things I didn't ever say. And I felt like she did a great, great job. Now, I don't tell moms to do that because it is dangerous because you don't know the law and you do get, but you don't have a choice. I walked the streets of Colorado, Denver. I mean, I went from one attorney to another begging them to take my case. The best way to do it is to get a big black notebook together and get your case organized. Have all your ducks in a row. And you have only the important motions filed that you did, and you have only important information in there. And then you take that to an attorney, and you you present your case, and you try to get them to take a pro bono. When you are done and nobody's going to touch your case and you can't get any help, you are pro se. And you go in pro se, but you you know your case better than anybody. And somebody like Stacy, she did incredible. And I've watched other mothers go in on their own, and they've done great. Now, I don't tell that for every mother. The trick to that, though, is that you have to have a certain demeanor. Because I, I think as a woman, as a woman, we get dismissed when our demeanor doesn't match that of what we consider educated and informed and male. And I, I think have to that, say under that this is funny. Sure. <laughs> well, at one point, um, and I'm going to get off so Stacy can finish. I I um, I went to the DA's office, and I, that's why I did take that big black notebook with me. And I thought because of the way I looked, they weren't taking me as credible and gender biased and whatever. I'm figuring, you know, it's because I'm a woman and I and I don't look the male. So I wore a men's Pendleton suit, like, stri- you know, striped suit and a white cotton man's shirt and a black narrow tie and pulled my hair back slick in a bun. And I figured if I looked more like a man, maybe they'd take me seriously. <laughs> and so, and then I and actually they? went to the DA's. Yeah, but well, let me tell you what happened. So I went into the DA's office like that. actually had an attorney at the time. And when I went through the metal detector, I had wired myself to go in to talk to the DA because I had proof that my daughter was being abused, and he knew my daughter was being abused, and they weren't prosecuting it. And I had a lot of news coverage in, in Colorado on my case. 
So I wired myself. My attorney did not know I was wired. When I went in, I had the DA admitting that he believed my child was being abused and that if that judge didn't give my child back to me, they, the DA would stop in and do something. Well, I had it all on wire, and I had it, And when I came out of that and went back to the metal detector and left, I took the underwire or the wiring out, and my attorney went, my God, Merrily, and I handed it to him. He goes, well, good, and it went over to the media. I still did not get my child with all that proof. And I and I would suggest with anybody going through this that you are constantly, constantly recording. While if you're in litigation, pay attention to the lawyers. Learn their game. Every law that they cite in your case, you need to go on the internet. You need to pull the law. You need to organize it in a three-ring binder in numerical order so that you now have that law in front of you. You have to educate yourself if you're going to make this happen. If you are with a lawyer that is beating you down, that lawyer needs to go immediately. How they treat you. You yourself, right? Yes. How they treat you is going to be how they are going to litigate for you in court. The second thing is for moms that have been in this for a while that are trying to figure out getting their kids back, start putting your case together. Put together the vital information Get the little law notebook separate and then start putting your case together and only write up the things that are valid. Start almost doing like a – do like a timeline and then start valid saying this, this, and th- these are really big, big, big things. Get those big things in. If you don't have evidence for what you're saying, you have to let it go in order to fix the case. You have right. to let it go exactly. and only come – Very important with what you can substantiate, what you can validate. And with me, I let all my trauma out, all the t- let it out, get it out. And that was part of me preparing for court so that when I did go into court, I could come clearly with those things. It's always good to have somebody proofread something you put together so that because they're a third person, they can take out what is not relevant where you're repeating yourself, these are all normal things that happen to us in this trauma. So start removing those things, get those things out, get rid of the trauma out of it, and cut to the facts, and you go into that courtroom hitting the facts only. They don't follow the line. Ladies, I think I want to thank you so much uh, for joining us, and uh, I really appreciate you calling in and joining us. Stacy. we are almost out of time, and um, one of the things that I did, uh, you guys are giving us so much good information, but I do want to just hone in and and really let people know how important demeanor is. I think sometimes we think courts are where we can go for justice, and I've seen it. Uh, not just in domestic violence situations, but in a lot of situations where people get emotional because they feel like this this court, this is where they will pay attention to the emotion of my case and, and how devastating this is, and wrong, wrong. You have to get that emotion out of your voice. You have to get the distress out of your voice, or you're going to be dismissed. And I think demeanor and the way we present ourselves is so unfair but so important to realize. Do you agree, Stacey? Yes. Leave your fear and your stress at the front door of the courthouse. You have Both to. of them. Stacey, thank you so much for joining me. I, I've, I've really learned a lot today. It's been kind of gut-wrenching, um, and I hope that um, what we've talked about has not only um, been difficult to hear, but also useful for women who may be going through this. I have a quote um, you know what? I'm going to forget the quote. I, 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 the 
the best, usually I end the show with a quote, but it's so hard to come up with, with something to, to cover this topic. So instead I'm just going to say happy Mother's Day because even if your child is not there, you can take joy in knowing that you childed the world and that it is a gift to this world. And um, I hope that that helps eliminate some of your sadness or at least ease some of it off. Stacey, thank you. Thank you for joining us for Three Women, Three Ways. And join us.